Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Coffee with a friend is like capturing joy in a cup. Welcome to the Coffee with Jenny B podcast, hosted by Jenny B, a lover of all things coffee. Each week, Jenny will chat about connecting over coffee, what brings her joy, and everything in between. A lot can happen over coffee, so grab a cup, sit back, and enjoy. Now here's your host, Jenny B. Hello and welcome. I'm very excited to talk about connecting with each other, connecting over coffee, connecting with coffee shops, coffee owners, connecting with yourself even, because it's really all about coffee. It's about your relationship with coffee and how you can share it with the world. Now, today we're going to talk about connecting with a coffee roaster, because after all, without coffee roasters, we wouldn't have coffee. And so they are a very important part of the coffee chain. And I am excited to share that we have Terry Masakevich. He is the owner and roaster of Prairie Lily Coffee Roasters in Lloydminster, Saskatchewan. Welcome, Terry. Hello. Welcome, Jenny. Nice to be here. Thank you so much. Because obviously Terry's in Saskatchewan, so we haven't had a chance to meet each other. But I follow Terry on Instagram. And when I opened my, or started, I guess, my Winnipeg Coffee community on my Facebook page, Terry joined the community. And we've been conversing over Instagram, I guess. And it's been a very interesting conversation because I, my third episode, it was on espresso. And I was talking about making espresso in a mocha pot, which is how my mother-in-law, who was Italian, made it. And Terry had a comment to make about mocha versus, I guess, espresso machines. I wanted to have Terry come on board, well, to talk about coffee in general, but to get his take on how he would make espresso. So what do you think, Terry? (laughs) Well, espresso is such a unique coffee. And of course, like you said on your podcast, espresso was invented such a long time ago. And I was on a trip to Italy and I asked the meaning of espresso on the basis of what or why kind of espresso was invented, just Mm -hmm. as a little side note. Okay. And from what I found was that because earlier when you introduced as coffee being a connection, the Italians, of course, love their coffee and Italians love to talk and they love Mm -hmm. to carry on and they love to socialize. (laughs) And so one of the, they decided to make espresso to have a very fast drink of coffee Mm -hmm. in a very short amount of time. Yep. So that the workers got back to work quicker. That's right. (laughs) And I was really surprised by that, that it's such a good coffee that can be enjoyed by itself, but it was really meant to get people going again. And that 
you know, I just found that the most interesting of it. That's interesting, actually. And that probably was the start of an actual coffee break mm. because getting them right. to have coffee to get them to stop, drink that coffee, get that energy and then go back to work. Yes, 100%. So for me, I, I loved espresso in that when you take a coffee and you try it on, say, a filter or a drip, mm-hmm. that when you put it into espresso, you take all those wonderful components and you really, really accentuate them, bring them out to this great compilation of flavors. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, that is highlighted a hundred times more than what it's actually tasting like as a filter. So yes. for me, that's why I loved it. And I also love that when you add water, let's say to an espresso as an Americano, oh, yeah. or you add milk, yeah. how much it changes that flavor of those coffees as well that yes. I find fascinating about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I mentioned in my podcast that I like a little bit of milk or cream in yeah. my espresso, but most Italians take it with just a lot of sugar, actually a yes. lot of sugar. <laughs> a lot of sugar, yes. And I find too now, like Italian espresso is unique in its own way. But I think, you know, we talk about generations of coffee or waves of coffee and mm-hmm. first wave, second wave, third wave, fourth wave. Yes. And now I'm really finding that fourth wave coffee is changing espresso. And I also don't think that I mean, you have your purists, and of course, Italian is very pure in that sense, but they're also changing to fourth wave espresso. So now we're getting these really wild, exotic coffees, and people are starting to get away from them with sugar. But, you know, there's no proper way to enjoy coffee. Coffee is about however you like it and what you think tastes the best. So that's what I love mostly. You know, it it is very much a, a personal taste, you know, how people like it. For me, it depends on the coffee too. So sometimes I'll take a little bit of cream and sometimes I need a lot of cream. Yes. Even what it is. And that cream just enhances some of those flavors. Mm -hmm. I know with my family having a really nice espresso machine, when we have a dessert, we'll have an espresso either black or we'll have an espresso with just a little bit of cream, like you said, Mm -hmm. with a dessert and unbelievable. I know. (laughs) I have yet one person to say, yeah, I didn't really like that espresso because (laughs) with that dessert, it just makes it even more amazing. It does. And especially if if the dessert has chocolate in it, because chocolate and coffee is is such a dynamic duo. Yes. Yeah. I wanted to, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about the the different waves. So I know that, you know, first wave is coffee that you make at home. Second wave is, you know, going out to like a fast food place. Mm -hmm. Third wave which I really wanted to touch a little bit more on is, you know, the coffee culture. So it's the cafes and the roasters and knowing where they're getting the the coffee beans, you know, doing a little bit of research, knowing the farms and so on and so forth. But I hadn't heard of a fourth wave. So could you maybe expand on that a little bit? So like you said, coffee, it's not so much about brewing specifically at home, but I guess for me, the fourth wave was first wave coffee was pre-World War II, where they you just take a coffee bean and you roasted it. It didn't matter. Usually it was on the darker spectrum of coffee. And okay. so they consider that more of first wave coffee pre-World War II. Mm-hmm. And I guess in a way, Italians started to get into the espressos in those 30s, 40s, and the first espresso machine. Mm-hmm. And then later on, second wave coffee kind of hit America, where coffee was brought in and it was 
a little bit about the origin and where the coffee came from. But again, coffee was really still roasted quite dark. Now, it can always be debated on everything. But for me, third wave was when Starbucks got involved in coffee. Oh, yeah. And, and Starbucks took the coffee to another level, like you had said earlier about being at home and kind of enjoyed that way. Starbucks came and they uh, invented this beautiful cafe style where you went in, enjoyed a coffee. It was an espresso or say a drip coffee. And they really started to highlight the countries where these coffees started coming from. Mm -hmm. So the Ethiopians and the Guatemalans. And I think from that part, we're still kind of in third, fourth wave. But when when Starbucks... When they really developed that idea, people started to notice the differences in the countries of taste. Mm -hmm. However, they were roasted to a degree on the roasting spectrum that still, they kind of highlighted the country, but they, you know, I I think as roasting got a little bit, people started to figure out coffees, Mm -hmm. we started to get a lighter version of that coffee. And so I think fourth wave coffee now is uh, coffees that are roasted very light you can, if I taste the coffee, I could tell you exactly which country it was coming from, whether it was an Ethiopian coffee, whether it was a Panama coffee, whether it was from Costa Rica or Guatemala. These coffees have very unique characteristics that are based upon the climate, mm-hmm. the area where they're grown and how they're grown. And I think that's kind of where fourth wave coffee is getting to. Younger generations are starting to see a difference in the lights versus the dark. Mm -hmm. And then they're associating that with fourth wave. Interesting. Yeah. You know, it sounds like being a coffee roaster is more of being a scientist in a way. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Right? It is a hundred percent that way. I agree. Experimenting and you're trying. And I really like that, that you can tell the differences between even just a taste of coffee. You can tell right away if it's from Ethiopia. So you're doing like Mm. a blind tasting test in other words, right? Yes. 100%. Yeah. That's. And, you know, it's interesting that way because even further to that is that the way coffees are being produced now, before generally a washed coffee, Mm -hmm. so when they pick the cherry off the coffee tree, they basically run it through a pulping machine and they take off all the mucilage and the shell, everything off of that coffee bean, and they run it through a process that cleans it in water. So they have these long channels of water and the coffee bean comes out. And it's perfectly clean, just like a seed. Like if you had a cherry in your mouth and you Mm -hmm. kind of took everything off and you brought that cherry out, it's perfectly clean. So that was also a former way of doing coffee. Well, they still do it, but it was a way that everybody just did it because that's kind of how we did it. Mm -hmm. Then in Ethiopia, the natural way to, to make coffee was called natural. So they would pick the coffee cherry right off of the tree. And they put it out on their patios and they just let them dry. By letting them dry, the shell and the mucilage on the coffee bean eventually falls off. And then they're left with the seeds. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Now, both of those produce two different types of flavors. Mm -hmm. So sometimes as a roaster, you might want to wash coffee because they're very clean and they have a unique taste to them that is different from a natural. A natural You just imagine that cherry uh, mucilage onto the bean and it's just drying and all the flavors from that 
mucilage are going into the bean. So they create quite a bright, vibrant, very aromatic flavor in your Mm -hmm. coffee. Okay, that's interesting because for me, actually, Ethiopian coffee is one of my favorites. I think for me, it's the brightness of the coffee. And that's probably because, and I didn't realize that, so thank you for sharing that, that the flavors actually from the shell and everything around it go right into the bean. Yeah. Coffee from Indonesia, for instance. So for me, Sumatra, and I'm basing this on Starbucks. So whenever I had Sumatra at Starbucks, it was the one coffee I could not drink because to me, it tasted like dirt. Yes. Like, I'm like, oh, I can't stand it. But then when I drink coffee from Indonesia, like a Sumatra from, like I say, at a cafe. So I know I, I, when I went to Colosimos a little while ago, they had a Sumatra and I explained about my experience with that. And then, like, oh, no, mm. no, no, try this. And right. I tried it. It's like, it was night and day. From yes, of course. Starbucks. So then would you then have that as a washed bean from Indonesia then? Or would you have it as a, as the natural? <laughs> Well, and that, this is the wonderful, see, coffee, coffee is so evolving, like every day, there's some new processes coming out. So these coffees that they used to wash, take mm-hmm. uh, Indonesian, always had those very muddled, earthy type flavors into them. Yeah. And guys decided, well, yes, people do enjoy them, but what happens if we take that Sumatra and we turn it into a natural? How does that affect the flavor in the Sumatra? And I think that's what's really exciting about this is that you had one that tasted a certain way and now they're processing it a different way and it's changing the way that coffee is actually tasting, mm-hmm. which is super exciting. And then if you take that coffee bean, so if you take it, because I know that you offer a single origin, uh, which we'll talk about in a second, but the blend. So then if you're blending the Indonesian coffee with, say, coffee from Mexico, right? Right. So yeah. that changes the composition and the flavor, doesn't it? Yes, 100%. And the art of blending mm-hmm. is a science in its own right, because mm-hmm. there's no specific rule that says you have to do things this way. When I make a blend, I have, say, uh, some coffees that I know are a good base, let's say an Indonesian. Mm-hmm. And it has that, it's a very coffee flavor, let's say, like it's just but I want to bring out some fruity notes. So then I decide to take, say, an Ethiopian or a Costa Rican mm-hmm. and highlight those flavor notes of uh, the fruits and some of the more normal tasting flavors in coffee and bring them together and see what it creates. Okay, interesting. So, you know, I think about coffee and the being an expert blender scientist, so to speak, makes me think of creating perfume. Right. And they say mm. that the master perfumers, I suppose, if that's what you call them, they have a nose for sensing the different ingredients, whether it's florals or, you know, musks or what have you. Would you say then to be a roaster such as yourself that you would have that nose for sensing the aroma from the different coffees? Does that make a difference in which ones you choose? Yes. As I grew and developed about coffees, and this is what's Again, another, like I'm so excited for coffee because <laughs> just the way that things are happening, but I don't think you have to be an expert. And mm-hmm. I do this all the time with people that uh, have never tasted like a really wild natural coffee or smelled that coffee. Mm-hmm. And they're always, people think that you have to be an expert in it. 
we're fortunate we all have noses <laughs> and we all have great taste buds yep. and it's in every uh, person. Now, just to get to some of those in the world of tasting and smelling, there's what's called a super taster, a taster and a non-taster. And out of say a hundred percent, 70% of people are just tasters, 15% are non-tasters and 15% are super tasters. Oh yeah. So everybody can do this. It's not that you are some kind of, you know, as in anything, you take a little bit of training and mm -hmm. we all have them. And the best part is, is that as we evolve, we have these things so that we can differentiate between things that are going to, and I say this in a way that think of us as cavemen, we would take a sample of something mm -hmm. and we taste it. And if it was bitter, we were going to spit it out. And that's our natural way of not poisoning ourselves. And so when then you smell something super aromatic and you know it's going to taste good and well, nine times out of 10, it's going to taste good, but mm -hmm. that won't kill you. And so it's all there. Yeah. And, and I think as a coffee people, we just have to rely on our taste and smell mm -hmm. and say, you know what? This smells like a wild rose from Alberta. And this smells like a peanut and okay. it's all in us. And yes. we just have to experiment and find out where it's at. That's interesting because I actually read about this, that the, the taste is actually in the aroma first. Yes. So it involves the five senses. So you see the coffee, you smell the coffee, mm -hmm. you taste the coffee, you hear the coffee when it's brewing. So it's either, you know, the bubbling in the mocha pot or the sure. you know, whatever, and then touch, of course, is part of it. So it's not an actual physical touch, but I look, I like to think about is that it touches the inside of you, you mm -hmm. know, so it kind of fills your inside and touches your soul. I know it sounds really. No, not at all. But, <laughs> but for me, and I'm sure everyone who loves coffee, it's more than just an experience. It can change your day, depending yes. on the type of coffee that you're having. Yes, I know. And that's, again, it comes back to those varietals and brewing methods and countries of origin, where they're from and how, like every day is a different day. And one day, and that's what we talked about today at this cupping. I did 10 coffees, mm -hmm. all from different origins, different processes. And someone said, well, how do you know which coffee? And I said, you don't. Today, you're feeling like a natural geisha from Panama. <laughs> but tomorrow, you just want to, you have a busy day planned and you just want a Guatemalan that's just tastes like coffee and you want a little kick and away you go. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's totally how you're feeling, what you're feeling that day, absorbing the environment around you and how you're feeling. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. So I'm not sure if you knew this, but I was a barista at Starbucks for four years. Yes. Starbucks at the time, and I don't know if they still do it now, but they had what, to, what they called a program for, to be a coffee master. And so you had to be either a shift supervisor or a manager to become a coffee master. Mm -hmm. And so the process is that you would have to go through learning. And it, it was quite the process of learning all about the different origins. And then, you know, and as you say, with cupping, and I'd like you to explain what that is, but it involved the cupping and tasting, and then eventually creating your own blend mm -hmm. of coffee. Exciting. And, and yes, it was, it was quite a process. And then once you pass that whole process, you got to wear a black apron. So instead oh. of the green apron, it was a black apron. So nice. for anybody that's listening to this episode, when you go into a Starbucks location anywhere in the world, 
if you see someone, uh, one of the baristas wearing a black apron, that is that they are a coffee master. Mm. And while I was at Starbucks, I was a shift supervisor at one point. I was so interested in becoming a coffee master because I think at the time you got to go to Costa Rica to visit a coffee plantation, which was, that is still my dream. One day I will go to Costa Rica, Mm. but you know, life got in the way and I had to quit working at Starbucks. And so I never got a chance to be the coffee master. But still, I I think about, oh, I was almost at that point, but it involved cupping. And so explain what that means, because I'm sure not many people understand what what that cupping is when it comes to coffee. There's an organization, Specialty Coffee Association. It's now one association. We used to have North America or Americas and then Europe, but they've now combined. And so similar to what Starbucks has done, there's a program called a Q-Grader. And a Q-grader is a person who has studied coffee. They know everything possible about the coffees, where they're grown, how they're grown, why this happens. And it's kind of like a wine sommelier. So the wine sommelier, he can uh, pick out uh, um, differences in the coffees or if there's a problem with the coffee. So when they take cupping, they wanted to standardize cupping so that let's say I'm here in Lloyd Minster and you're in Winnipeg mm-hmm. and we've got a guy in Guatemala. So we can take that coffee. Let's say it's been roasted at origin mm-hmm. at the coffee farm and they sent you a sample and they sent me a sample. There's specific parameters that we all have to follow. So we have to have a water within a range of hardness and pH, etc. Mm-hmm. We have to grind the coffee certain ways so that we both have this similar grind and they have some detailed maps. Let's say if you put it on a piece of paper, you would want it like a little bit between coarse salt and fine salt. Okay. So then you and I can both grind it the same. Then through that, we have to have a ratio. So let's say the ratio is 16 to one. What that means is we want one gram of coffee to 16 grams of water. In my cupping bowls, I'm 11.5 grams of coffee to 180 grams of water. So it's a small bowl with those small bowls. So let's say you are doing it and I'm doing it. We have the same coffee and the same guy in Guatemala. We uh, boil our water to 92 degrees. We uh, set it in our bowl. We let it sit for four and a half minutes. After four and a half minutes, what happens, uh, crust forms. So all your kind of like a French press, when you pour it into a French press, you see all the beans rise to the top and that's called a crust. And when you take that crust, it's kind of holding all the flavors together. It's also extracting the uh, flavors into the water. Mm-hmm. We break that crust at four and a half minutes, and then you'll find a little layer of some foam and some other coffee beans that are still floating. We scrape those off. And once we have that, we let it cool a little bit because it'll be you know, still a little bit warm. But I find 52 to 53 degrees is a great cupping temperature to start. So then we start to cup those coffees and by cupping, we have a soup spoon (laughs) and we take a little bit of uh, coffee off of the, off of the sample and we go to slurp it. And when we slurp it, we aerate our mouth. Thus you hear the guys making these wild sounds and (laughs) because coffee is also aroma and we have, you know, five distinct taste buds on our tongue, but we have over, I think they've identified a thousand different aromatic compounds that we can smell 
Oh, really? Okay. And so coffee has, like, they don't even know exactly what's in coffee yet. Like, it's still a science as to mm. figure that out. But by slurping, we aspirate everything and we spread it out so it's all on our tongue. And that air also forces any flavors up into our nasal passage. And once we get that combined with the taste, we can start identifying what the flavors are or how the roast is within that coffee. Hi, it's Jenny. We'll get back to the show in a moment. But first, I invite you to check out my website, coffeewithjennyb.ca. That's Jenny with a G, where you'll find all the links to my episodes. You'll also find a variety of coffee gifts available for purchase, including my branded bag of Red Door Coffee Beans from Harrison's Coffee Company. As well, you'll find a link to join the Winnipeg Coffee Community Facebook group. I'll also be posting info about upcoming coffee tours and coffee nights. So keep checking my website for updates. You can also follow me on Instagram at Coffee with Jenny B. Now let's get back to the show. So you did what, 10 to 12 cups of coffee today? Yep. Today we did 10 cups. So let's say you're slurping and this coffee is from Ethiopia. Yes. Before you move on to the next one, do you have to like cleanse your palate in a sense, like take some water to make sure that you're starting fresh or, or what do you do in between cups? In between cups, for me, I find that 10 cups is a perfect amount to cup. And usually you can drink a little bit of water or just if you take the bread, a piece of bread and you eat the bread, it kind of cleans out your palate because in a way, bread is just kind of basic and doesn't have, a, you know, it has some flavor, but nothing mm-hmm. like you're going to taste. Or sometimes people will eat a bit of an apple and the apple just seems to cleanse everything, keep it nice and fresh so that when you go to taste the coffee again, you're kind of onto a new. What I do like, though, is within 10 cups, you don't really get palate fatigue mm-hmm. and you can get palate fatigue after more than 10. And then after they all start to just taste the same and your <laughs> taste buds need that. So For me, 10 cups is perfect amount, but you can do two, you can do 10. Just a little quick side note, when you think of a coffee company, say of Tim Hortons, their cuppers will put 50 coffees out on a table. They're only tasting for a defect. So what that means is if coffee number, say row seven, coffee number three, they just, they start slurping and they're tasting just to make sure every coffee is the same for consistency. And if they get to one cup and they taste it, they're like, something is wrong with this cup. It could have been brewed a different way. It could have had some defects in the beans that Mm -hmm. weren't right. It could have been roasted improperly. And it's amazing to watch because they just, (laughs) oh, something wrong with this one. And they just go down the lines and they do this on a daily basis. Oh my God. That, you know, it's incredible on its own, but they're very good at what they do. They would have to be very good doing 50. Oh my goodness. I'm thinking 10 would probably be the limit for me. I can't even imagine doing 50. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) So then everybody can do cupping. Like, and it's just a standardized form so that we're all on the same page. It's not like we're making coffee one way, you're making it a different way. And of course, making them different ways brings out different flavors Mm -hmm. within your coffee. So it's just very consistent. And, you know, and I also read that you mentioned about letting it cool. I didn't know about the crust, which is very interesting information, Mm -hmm. but I read that. So when you take the coffee, you don't drink it right away because you let it cool a little bit because that's actually when the flavors become a little bit more pronounced. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. 
Heat actually mutes your taste buds. And by doing that, then your coffees will taste very similar. Sometimes I've left, well, I do it often. I'll leave the <laughs> cupping coffees overnight or five hours, three hours. And I go back to them when they tasted cold because they can do two things. One, they can really make it even sweeter and a nicer cup of coffee, mm-hmm. or that time kind of enhances some of the astringencies within that coffee and they bring it out and you're like, wow, tasting this coffee really cold, something's not right. I love colder coffees. Like I'll never uh, make a hot, hot coffee because I don't really find that you taste anything with them. You know, and that's interesting. You mentioned about, you know, that you enjoy cold coffee. Most people, oh, my coffee's cold. You know, they either heat it up in the microwave or they, yes. they threw it out, right? Yeah. But I guess it's different if you're drinking, say, you know, you had a cup of Tim Hortons, nothing against Tim Hortons, but just mm. as an example, and it got cold. It might not taste the same as if you had had, say, brewed an espresso or made a French press and it was cold. That would be a totally different flavor, wouldn't it? Yes, totally. Yep. And I think it's good to let coffee cool, but... In my cupping protocol, I like to start around 52 degrees and I find it's nice and warm. It's not too cold. It's not too hot, but it really starts to bring out those flavors. Prior to 52, it's still good to try, but I find them that they're just not quite opening up just yet. Yeah. So for someone who's listening out there and they want to maybe do their own cupping either Mm -hmm. just for themselves or they're doing it with somebody else, what kind of equipment, like what do they need to be able to do this for themselves? A small soup bowl. When you go to a little uh, restaurant, they've got those little tiny, and I don't even know if they're bowls, they're more like cups. And, you know, ratios are good, but it doesn't have to be, you know, exactly because you're going to be tasting it at home with yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you get a small bowl and a scale and you Grind your coffee similar to what you would do in a pour over. Just try to figure out a ratio that would work the same for you. So if you were doing 15 to 1, 16 to 1, or 17 to 1, just try and figure out a ratio of your coffee grounds to the water and then and a soup spoon. And that's basically all that you need. And your grinder, you know, of course, a grinder, etc. But it's really simple to do. And it's really uh, a unique process to help you learn about what it is that you're tasting. Mm-hmm. And if you find a coffee that you're not quite sure of, but you have an idea, go to your fridge and grab something or go to your shelf. If mm-hmm. it's very nutty or if it's very chocolatey or if it's very fruity, I have an Ethiopian yogurt chef. It's almost all blueberries. So it's very nice to have some blueberries or some strawberries or cherries some nuts there as well, and some chocolates. And remember in coffee tasting, it's also perceived. It's not a, this is what's in it, but it's a perceived and it's also a memory of a taste. If you taste the nice dark chocolate Mm -hmm. and you go to taste your coffee and it reminds you of that chocolate, Mm -hmm. then it's very much like you remember. And again, coffee is very individual to you. If I tell you it's uh, raspberry but you think it's strawberry (laughs) i'm not going to argue with you because you know it's it's your own taste buds but then you have those fruits and vegetables or fruits from your fridge that you can taste and go you know what this does taste like a strawberry so it's very simple to do on your own okay so then would you taste the coffee first so let's say we're going with an ethiopian Mm. and it has more of like that that citrus perhaps right so then would you have a bit of orange 
Yes. Before you taste the coffee or after you taste I would go after usually because Mm -hmm. you might eat the orange and then taste the coffee and you'll still have some oranginess in your palate. Okay. So best to taste the coffee and think about it. And then you kind of can, you know, usually on coffee bags too, they have some tasting notes. And on those tasting notes, then you can say, well, this is what they're telling me is in it. Mm -hmm. Do I believe them what's in it? So then you can have a little bit of those, taste your coffees, think about it, and then taste an orange and go, gosh, that really is in there. That's very interesting. Because you had mentioned earlier about there's the super tasters and then the majority of us are, are tasters. Yes. And so the idea that people might be afraid to try it just because, oh, well, I'm not an expert. I don't know anything about coffee. They don't need to be, like you say, they don't need to be an expert. No. Today I was I was with a, a gentleman. He said, I'm not sure I'm going to taste anything. <laughs> and gosh, he was pulling out these flavors, cacao nibs and raspberries and strawberries and floral, like a rose and jasmine. And I was like, gosh, you're going to come over with me and, and you're going to help me select some of my coffees. <laughs> and he, he, you know, he just thought, well, I've never done it before. So just on a quick, my father-in-law is a super taster, super taster. They taste everything like their senses are right on, but you don't want to be a super taster because you usually don't find a lot of good things because your taste buds are so good. Mm-hmm. And it drives my mother-in-law bonkers because she creates this beautiful meal and we're all sitting around loving it. And he's like, "Ah, I think it's got too much of this and it's got too much of that. So super tasters in a way you don't want to become really, of course, you don't want to be a non-taster, but they're pretty small between, Mm -hmm. but I'd rather be a non-taster than a super taster because then you start to pick everything apart and you might find something, maybe you put a little too much salt or something in your food and yeah, super tasters aren't, they get paid very well because they can really pick out what's in something. But being a taster, a regular taster, we all have it and we can all do it. Yeah, I think for me, that would kill the enjoyment because yes. it's almost like I'm I'm looking for the bad versus enjoying the good. Yes, that's right. So I also want to talk about your coffees because I went on your mm. website And I was looking at all the different coffees you have available. And I like that you, because even though you're in Lloydminster, you do ship across Canada. And you also mentioned that you have certain like single origins and certain blends and whatever, but that if we wanted you to roast our coffees a certain way, you can do that for us? Yes, of course. Coffee, it's unique because I usually like to go what I like and it's gotten me in some trouble sometimes because I may think that this coffee is floral and fruity and it's one of the best coffees in the world. And others might taste it and say, what, what is this? (laughs) Like, what am I drinking? I think it's horrible. This doesn't taste like coffee. And so on my website, I've tried to base coffees from these really super natural Ethiopians to a more traditional roasted coffee to the darker spectrum so that we have a little bit of everybody kind of involved because it's not only about me, it's about you as well, about what you find good in coffee and how you enjoy the coffees. And if I only think, well, this is what I like, well, it's not about me. It's about everybody. Like, and when you chatted earlier, like coffee is a journey. I think, Mm -hmm. I think coffee is about connecting people. And since I've been in coffee, gosh, I've, I meet people from all over the world. And people are just, they're like, where do you live? And you live out in the middle of nowhere. And here I am, say, in 
Venice, enjoying a coffee, and we're chatting about coffee. It's such good connections. And so, you know, we have to open up and everybody's different. And you you enjoy a dark roast. I enjoy a light roast. But we're together and we're enjoying it. And we're loving life. Yeah. You know, like and there's nothing better. No, nothing better. And and then that's the beauty of it is that you can connect and you, we can have differences. And my girlfriend likes hers black straight up. I like mine with cream. Mm-hmm. You know, my husband reheats yesterday's coffee in the microwave <laughs> because he just wants that caffeine hit. It's just like, oh my goodness. So I don't talk coffee with him. He just, whatever's left over in the pot, he's good. More than happy. Know? More than happy. But you yeah. know, he will enjoy that shot of espresso. So if we're somewhere where they offer it, he will right. definitely have that. But he knows what he likes. Again, not an expert. He's heating his coffee, but he's happy. He likes the taste and that's enough for him. Yes. And it's such a big topic that there's room for all of us. Sometimes people ask, they're like, oh, there's another roaster. And I'm like, the more roasters, the better. It's very similar to beer. Uh, I think there's different expressions of beer. There's a lot of expressions of wine. Otherwise, we'd have one winery in the world Mm -hmm. and we'd all be drinking the same stuff. Roasters roast differently. Roasters can pick different flavors out of coffee. They can enhance those flavors. I think it's a big open world for all of us to enjoy. Yeah, I think so too. So I want to end with the idea of a coffee snob. Mm -hmm. I've had people refer to themselves as, oh, I'm a coffee snob or you're a coffee snob. Mm -hmm. So, What do you think about that? I don't know if the one exists, (laughs) to be honest with you. And the reason I say that is because there are many varietals. There are many uh, roasting parts of coffee. And I think you're a snob in your own world. There's a famous producer, a barista from Australia. His name is Sasha Sestik. And he has coffees that are $75 per cup of coffee. No way. And he has some coffees that are $1. And sometimes people try the $1 coffee and they're like, wow, that was amazing. And then they try the $75 coffee and they think, this coffee, I don't really enjoy. Yeah. So, but yet... Sasha Sestik, being the barista and producer of coffees and green bean buyer, he'll taste that coffee and he's like, oh my gosh, this coffee is so complex. It is grown on 2,000 meters, 2,200 meters above sea level. We have 50 pounds of this coffee that I've never tasted before. So I then ask, who's the coffee snob? Is it the person who didn't like the $1 coffee? Or the person that liked the $1 coffee, but didn't like the $75 coffee. I think that they're both right. The snob could be the guy who likes it or the one that didn't like it. (laughs) Right? It's a matter of taste and perception, right? That's right. Totally. Yeah. And you know, I I think about wine too, because you'll try a $10 bottle of wine and you think it's awesome. And then you buy something for 50 and you're like, I, I don't know why... $50 for this, I, you know, much prefer the $10 one. Yes, I agree. One of the things that I've started to do is I always call it a blind tasting. I can only control certain events unless I have lots of people around to kind of really not know. But when I cup all my coffees underneath uh, the cups, I write what the coffee was. Mm -hmm. I grind them all, put them in, and then I mix them all up. And then I put them onto the table. And yes, I have an idea that there are these ones, but I don't know individually which is that coffee. And then I start to taste them. And then I write notes and I say, wow, this coffee, whatever this coffee is, I'm loving. And then 
I do a little reveal to myself and I look and I'm like, wow, I wasn't expecting that coffee to taste so good. <laughs> and so by doing that, you kind of learn a little bit about yourself, but mm-hmm. you also learn that you may have a perceived idea of what coffee you really like, but when you don't know that it's on the table or that it's there, your perceptions can change on that. So I think it's a good idea to, to do that as well. You know, I think about the packaging too, because I know sometimes when I'm buying, say, a bottle of wine, I'll look at the packaging and sometimes the packaging is intriguing enough for me to say, you know what, I like what it says and it's promising this and I'm going to try it. And then I either really like it. So then now I found my new favorite Mm -hmm. or I don't like it. It's like, you know, now I know not to buy that. So would you say the same for packaging for coffee packaging? You know, that it's either there's a picture on it or maybe it's the tasting notes that you were talking about that might make you think, oh, maybe this is exactly what I want. And then when you try it, you realize, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really disappointed because it's really not what I wanted. I agree. And I also, I guess maybe I've in the coffee world too, I have to buy green beans. And when I'm buying green beans, I have to remember that the producers are salesmen or maybe not the producers, but also the roasters or the green bean buyers Every farm has lots of coffees and they want to sell you these coffees. Mm -hmm. So they're going to make them look and sound and taste amazing. So I always try to tell people, taste it and make your own idea of what you think the coffee is going to be like Mm -hmm. versus always trying to just look on it and go, wow, they said this is an amazing coffee, but I don't really like it. I get it sometimes too, because advertising sells. I want to produce a coffee that tastes amazing and highlight it so I can sell it. So just always keep that in mind that we're all salesmen trying to sell our brand and our coffee. (laughs) So it's not bad. I send people coffee and I'm like, wow, this is a really nice coffee. And they say, yeah, I didn't like it. And then I say, that's okay. And maybe sometimes it's how they're preparing the coffee. So when you're tasting it and you know you're preparing it a certain way. So let's say, you know, you talked about 92 degrees for the water and then, you know, 16 to 1 or 7 to 1. Let's say that they they boiled the water at, I'm going to say 105 degrees, just for your sake. And instead of a 16 to 1, they did like a 20 to 1. So, of course, it's going to be quite different than how you tasted it. And they might say, well, it doesn't taste the way you described it. I don't know what I did. And yes, yeah, having that conversation with them, maybe to and it's also about education, too, isn't it? Yes, totally. I find and this is why I really love cupping, because cupping is such a standard way to make a coffee. Even if you undergrind or overgrind the coffee in fineness or coarseness, Mm -hmm. if you still have the same amount of water, it's like a French press. I always tell people that a French press is a larger version of cupping coffee because You take your grounds, the ground a specific way, you pour in, say, 92 degree water, Mm -hmm. and you usually let it sit for four and a half minutes. So you're not really doing anything to the coffee. It's just sitting there. It's it's extracting in the water. Mm -hmm. You plunge it, get everything down, and then you pour your coffee. If you were to make a drip coffee in a machine, you could undergrind it so it's very fine. Yep. And then the water goes in and it can't flow through that coffee to get out. And so it just creates a big amount of water and that water sits in there, a big mess. And it's extracting all these very, very fine particles out of the coffee that you're not really liking. 
and it takes a long time to brew. So it's really going to change that flavor. Or if you brew it, grind it really coarse and that water goes right through it, it might not taste like anything. So for me, it's always education about proper grind, water temperature, even the basket style that really can help people learn more about their coffee. And even sometimes people don't want to learn. They just want to make a coffee. So, you know, you just kind of guide them and say, okay, make sure it's grind here this much and away you go. Okay. That's very interesting. And certainly a lot more about the process of coffee and, and discovering, I guess, what, what you like and how to make sure that you continue with that process. Yes. I mean, coffee again is such a, this wonderful world of brew methods. You know, you can start with the mocha pot. I recently chatted with the Italian second place brewing champion of mocha pots. Like this is an actual competition. In Italy, they do it worldly now too. It's starting to become a world championship. But uh, I really realized how I was not brewing mocha pot properly. (laughs) And uh, I never really gave it much effort because I put the water in, put the grinds in, put it through, be done. I drink it. I'm like, "Eh, I don't know if I really appreciated it enough. And not to say that you have to do everything that way, but he really broke it down to how much coffee to put in pre-boiling your water and then putting it in your mocha pot. Oh, having a little thermos uh, or a little thermometer sticking out the edge when the water boils out there's two little spouts. So I put a, a thermometer in there. I just didn't turn it on full blast so that it just over uh, or boiled really quick. So then I started really to pay attention to those. I love a mocha pot. Like a mocha pot is such a good way to brew a coffee that uh, it's opened me to a whole new world of coffee experiences. I actually would would love if you would do perhaps a webinar describing that sure. at some point. And yeah. yeah, I'd love to. It's, uh, I mean, I have a small mocha pot, enough just for myself. It's very simple. We can all do it. Again, it just depends how I always call it like geeking out. If you really want to be <laughs> a, a geek about it, then you get really fine details. But again, you know, we don't have to go that crazy. As long as we control a few factors, we can still make a beautiful pot of coffee. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah. So we'll chat about this after. So I I think that would be so exciting, especially because I mean, I've made my mocha pod, but if there's a better way of getting and not better way, but a better way of getting the best taste. Yes, that's right. Experience. I think, I think all of us would love that. And I wanted to offer something of value. So my Winnipeg coffee community, I want to be able to offer these kinds of webinars. So it's mm-hmm. it's about learning about the different types of coffee and also learning about the different methods and, you know, who better than the people that know how to do it best. And I'm excited for myself to even learn how to make a, a better mocha pot of uh, espresso for myself. <laughs> yes. I love teaching people since I've gotten into coffee. I, you know, I never was a big teacher on things, but it's getting people to experience new ways of drinking coffee just enhances your overall uh, love of coffee. And for me personally, I never drank coffee until I was over 35 years old. To me, coffee was just, my parents used to make it and uh, my background is Ukrainian. They put on the beans and they grind it and they leave it sit there all day long. <laughs> and I just thought the stuff is putrid. And so I was on a trip to Budapest. I mean, 
I guess the romance is there also. But a, a friend of mine said, let's go for a coffee. And I kind of looked at him and said, I don't really drink coffee. And he's like, I'll take you to this nice shop and uh, we'll get you a coffee. And gosh, I sat down and I had this beautiful coffee. And uh, since that day, I've never turned back on it. So it's something that, you know, I think is there and we can all experience it and love it. Yes. And it's it's finding that that first great cup of coffee that can really make a difference for you. And there are plenty out there. And I think, again, this world of coffee is so growing. We're getting to single origins and coffee farmers that have a specific bean. Mm -hmm. They might only have 200 pounds of this bean. And it's, you know, it's like, I want to get my hands on that because (laughs) there's not much of it. And they're really highlighting and it's going to be amazing. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, this has been such a pleasure talking to you today, Terry, and, and learning more about your world of coffee. And and I mean, I thought I, I knew a lot, but I think I knew a little about a lot. <laughs> so this has been such an education for me as well. If people want to find out more about maybe ordering coffee from you, what should they do? You can go on to prairielilycoffee.com. And I'll have all my coffees on there, Um, again, from single origin to coffees that uh, 90 plus coffees that score really high in the world of coffee Mm -hmm. to my, I call them my traditional roast. The traditional roast is uh, medium plus to uh, medium dark and dark roasted coffees that uh, most people recognize. Or I'm on Instagram at Prairie Lily Coffee. And uh, if you want to chat, I'm open. I love chatting with people. I have friends all over the world that we just talk coffee. One day it's like, what are you drinking today? This is what I'm drinking. What did you think about it? I love this and this and this, and I like this and that's it. So you can contact me on Instagram as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Terry, for being here with us and, and sharing your love of coffee. You're welcome. Anytime. Thank you for listening. And until next time, enjoy your coffee, whether it's a mocha pot, a brewed coffee, a French press, or visiting a local coffee shop and enjoying their creation. Thanks so much for listening. If you like Coffee with Jenny B and want to know more, connect with Jenny on Instagram at Coffee with Jenny B. That's Jenny with a G. Until then, all you need is joy and more coffee. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.